Hey guys, Alexa Curtis here, and this is The New Unfiltered. Leave me a voicemail with your first name, age, and city, and any problem you're dealing with. And if I can't help answer your problem, I'll bring in an expert who can. Listen to The New Unfiltered every week to see if your question made it onto the episode. Hi guys, welcome back to a new episode of The New Unfiltered. It's a Monday, which means that it is a perfect time for you guys to do something this week that gets you out of your comfort zone or makes you a little bit uncomfortable. I was so excited when Fearless came out on Localish and to hear your feedback from it. We did two different giveaways and two young women won calls with Coco and Breezy. And it was just the coolest coolest thing that I have uh, ever seen before. So before we get into this episode, make sure that you are following the podcast on social media at, at the new unfiltered, as well as my personal podcast, which is uh, sorry, my personal social media, which is at Alexa underscore Curtis. So many of you, if you follow me on social media, probably know that I have been talking a lot about launching the process of building out an app for mentor match was just something that I had been thinking about when I even launched this program, but it wasn't until I met with my mentor that I realized how important it is that I finally start building this app. So after this Yukon summit, that's in February, the RSVP comes out tomorrow. I will probably take a step back from summits to focus on building this. So a few weeks, I think months ago, I was at an event that a girlfriend of mine in Austin invited me to, uh, that was with a VC firm called Swift Arc. And at this particular event that I almost didn't even go to, and I'm so glad I said yes to going because I never go out on weekdays, I met so many incredible people in the space. And this was before I even decided to launch this into an app and really think about funding. So I've gone to a few of their events now. And through it, I've met just some incredible woman, one in particular, Leslie Wolfson, who is the engagement director at Swift Arc. And I am really excited to have her on the podcast today to talk not only about VC and raising money, but things like the value of face-to-face conversations and following up with people via email. So Leslie, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. So take me back through your story and even how you got started in this particular role. Um, so I have a pretty long and varied career. Um, and with each pivot and with each next step, um, one of the constants in my whole career has been the relationships that have supported me driven me, um, mentored me through the process. Um, and about nine year, nine months ago, I met the founder of Swift Art Ventures um, and they were considering launching a new female founders fund. And that was really something that I could wrap my head around. Um, so it's truly back to my roots that my relationships have driven um, the majority of this process. So I love the topic that you wanted to discuss today because it hits home with me. Well, and I'm so curious, and I think so many other people are as well in terms of getting into like the VC world and funds for those people who are listening, who don't even know what that means. Can you kind of walk someone through what a fund would be that's geared towards women and specifically what Swift Arc does? So Swift Arc has a variety of funds. The one that, that we're discussing today is an investment fund that looks at early stage companies in the beauty and wellness space. And they have to have at least one female founder. Um, Female founders have statistically outshined um, male founders um, with almost three times the profitability per dollar as a male founder. Um, And the studies are endless of the success of women building and running at scaling businesses more profitably with a lot less investment. Um, Venture goes after a lot of amazing new innovative types of technologies and innovations across countless sectors. But one of the things that um, is kind of disappointing in the industry is its funding of women. Considering that we're 50% give or take people of the planet 
only two and a half percent of the billions of dollars that get allocated every year through venture go to women. So what we're trying to do at SwiftArk is to do what we can to even out that playing field. Um, and not only is it a great thing to, to invest in women, but it's also a great investment to invest in women. So our fund is a little bit unique in that perspective is that every one of our funds is focused on um, not only a different sector, but a way that we can support our community um, within, those, within those parameters. There's a stat as well, isn't it? 1% or 3% of uh, women don't get money or do get money. It was something I think that I had, that I had heard at the last yeah. event, the one at the Four Seasons. It's um, less than 3% of women in venture um, get funded. And of that, only 5% of the investors in venture are women. So um, we set a goal for ourselves to not only, as I said, fund female founders, but originally my goal was 25% of our investors. I was hoping to target smart, successful women. And, but right now we are trending at 40%. So that's an 8X compared to the rest of the market. Um, so I'm pretty psyched about that. And why, why is that? Why is it so difficult to get women in VC? Because I feel like there are so many women founded companies and there's just so much success surrounding if women. Yeah. If you look around the traditional, you know, uh, board table at most of these or decision-making table at most of these big VCs, traditional VCs, the table used to be a hundred percent male. And now pretty much it's about 80% male, but as there are more women decision makers at the table, um, it's increasing the, um, the amount of funds for women that are getting supported. I think the numbers that I quoted too, if I sit back, you know, with you in six months or a year, I think those, I think this year, 2021 was a big shifting year. So the numbers I'm quoting are 2020 because I don't have those yet. Um, and 2022 will be even bigger. So I think, I don't know if COVID has anything to do with it, but um, that there was a big shift in, in not just talking about supporting women, but truly acting on that, um, on those commitments. Uh, I think the other thing is, is COVID did affect the drive, the ability and the need for more entrepreneurship. People's jobs were canceled. People's jobs changed. Um, people's jobs got cut back. And um, whether people were fighting for survival and looking for a, way, a new way to make an income, or they had an idea and felt like taking a risk, whatever the motivations were, is there a lot more um, entrepreneurial effort, efforts in the last two years than there's been um, over the previous five. So I think that that's some sort of a positive that's come out of the last two years. Um, and with that, majority of those entrepreneurs are gonna need to get funded. Somehow. Social media too has made this concept of entrepreneurship, I find so glamorized, which I think is so funny because it's probably one of the hardest, hardest career paths that you absolutely can follow. So I always try and remind people before you think that this is the best thing to do and you're going to raise all this money. Uh, there is so much behind the scenes and so much work that has to go into it. But before we get into talking about building relationships and whatnot, I wanted to ask you, can you walk me through the different stages of funding? Because that's something that always stumps me when I'm talking to someone there's like seed and then series A, what do these terms mean? So I, I want to just comment on one thing that you said is, you know, Instagram and so forth has um, glamorized entrepreneurship and, and that's amazing to get more people comfortable with it. But the majority of entrepreneurs fail, at least their first or second try. Um, and some people say that's that's the great learning lesson and equalizer. But people have to know that that just because you start a business does not mean you're going to succeed. Um, a big issue for that, and especially as I mentioned with women, is getting funded. 
So when people have this nascent idea or they've launched a product, usually the way they're going to get funded is friends and family. So you have to really think about your support network to, to see if you can even get off, you know, off the ground because most investors are not looking at, you know, one, one kind of great little product. Um, they're looking for a flushed out business model. So, I mean, the first stage is, is, um, is, as I said, friends and family, and then, um, sometimes more seasoned entrepreneurs or people who have a flushed out idea will get funded by angel investors. Um, somebody may, you know, it may be through an angel group, small investments, and um, as their business plans grow and they're um, hopefully having some revenue, that's where they kind of walk themselves through or not walk them, but step through um, the investment uh, ecosystem. So SwiftArk, we're looking at early stage companies that have approximately a million dollars in revenue. And the reason for that is that we really want to see that there is a market for the products or the platforms that we're investing in. Um, the other thing is we look for seasoned founders. So that makes it hard for somebody who's young out of school or starting a new idea. We're looking for people that have had a strong executive career or have already had an exit um, or a very successful founder experience. Um, the reason being is venture is a very risky business and Swift Dark tries to mitigate as much risk as possible um, for a better outcome for our investors. So um, if we can you know, do good and do well at the same time, then we've met a good part of our criteria. So those different stages, the seed, the series A, what is the difference? Oh, I think you could Google and see that a lot of people define them differently. Um, but some people consider seed and early stage a crossover similar. Um, and as your revenues expand, um, that's when you get into your series A and series B and, and farther down the line. So um, I think that certain people define the two of those um, differently and some define them with the same exact parameters. So it's a kind of fluid statement in my opinion. I know I asked you the other day, but for young adults who are looking to start a company, or maybe they've even started something and he had huge traction in their school. If they're like, okay, now I want to build X, Y, Z, what is the first step for them? So I know you said raise money through friends and family, but what if you hit a wall? What if you can't raise money through friends and family? No one, you know, has that kind of money that you're looking for. What's the next plan? It's hard. And you have to be, a, you have to have really thick skin. Um, but there are angel groups in every city. Um, and there are also certain young entrepreneur programs that city or state will put out, maybe a university will put out. Um, you really need to do a lot of homework um, to see in your area um, who has the potential for, you know, they may be ten, fifty thousand $50,000 small investments uh, to get you started. But there are a lot of groups and a lot of academic programs and um, entrepreneurial programs that do have some kind of angel programs. There's so many different places to find money or get money or even ideas. And I think that going back to even when I first almost didn't go to that first Swift Arc event, the power of saying yes and feeling confident and going somewhere that might make you a little bit un uncomfortable is something that I would like to see every single person do. Cause I never have once walked away from something, not having learned something about myself or about business. So when it comes to meetings and what you do in a day, I know you're always on an airplane, you're always somewhere incredible. So I feel like for someone in your position, utilizing every single moment of your day and optimizing it has to be a huge part of what you do to stay organized. So keeping in mind that a lot of people listening are young working professionals, but they may be in the room with someone or get their mentor on the phone and only have 20 minutes of time. How can someone go into every single endeavor and utilize that 20 minutes without talking too much or asking the wrong questions and then feeling like they didn't ask the right ones? Well, 
first and foremost is, is preparation. So before I get on a call with a potential investor or a new company that we're looking to research, um, I mean, we're looking to, in, to invest in, it's research. I wanna know like what I'm looking at, what the opportunities are, what people are saying, whether it's about an individual on LinkedIn or what the market is saying about a product when it comes to reviews. That's, those are two tools I'll go right to, to, to do my research. Um, and with that, there, there's no really, I mean, I think all questions are really valid. You just have to think about delivering them in a professional manner um, because you don't need to know everything. I don't know everything. And I'm happy to, to say that, you know, I've built companies and teams around myself with people that did things better than I did because to be a great leader, you have to have a smart team and you have to have support in, um, in every facet of a business and no one can do everything perfectly. Um, that being said, getting back to asking questions is listen as much as you speak. Don't talk over the person that you're trying to get advice from. Um, and be complimentary, just saying, you know, I, I value what you say. I'm, I'm, I'm open to learning and I appreciate you sharing your time and insight with me. Um, I think, you know, generationally, we all look at business and the way business should be handled differently. Um, I think being humble is much more attractive than being cocky and arrogant, um, especially when you're trying to talk to someone who's giving you advice and who's taking time out of their day to support you. Um, I think it's great to know your product backwards and forwards. You um, have to as well to even have a solid conversation with anyone. I think that knowing yourself and what you're looking for out of a conversation is really I ideal, but quite often people don't know their purpose. They don't know their identity yet. So it might be more of a struggle for them to go into a conversation, knowing exactly what to say. Well, I do think preparation is part of it and that, and, and, and write yourself questions, you know, what are your numbers? What are you looking for? Um, what are you good at? What do you need support in? Those are four really good questions that could take a conversation easily, you know, for an hour. So I, I think if you have a core of a few smart questions and, and your data, um, if the person is really generous enough to spend time, you know, being thoughtful with you, they'll help you lead the conversation too. Um, again, I would say whatever you do, don't interrupt and don't talk over the person. So many people do it. And, um, hopefully anyone listening to this will think about that comment 10 years later and realize how valuable it is. So, um, so that would be my, my, I guess, short few things to go into one of these kind of mentoring or support kind of type of conversations. Oh, I really like that. Not. Well, I mean, not, no one should talk over anyone anyway, in general, I would, I would hope not, but I really like to hear that from you because people a lot of times want to fill empty space, right? So they start talking before the other person is done talking to reduce that. And I find that a lot in business, it's very common, but sometimes you just have to truly sit back and think and pause in between every comment on both sides. But for the VC world, I find that in-person conversations and meetings are so valuable. And I'm curious your opinion, because I know that you have such a limited amount of time to do everything that you need to do in a day. So my first question for you is, what do you think about the whole concept of getting coffee? Because I think a lot of people will message someone on LinkedIn, or maybe they're inspired by someone, you know, do you have time for a coffee? Do you have time for a chat? I get these messages and I think ultimately sometimes you have to be like, no, I don't. And I have no idea who you are. So what is a better way for someone to go about doing that whole, can I get you for a coffee or can I pick your brain on something with someone they've never met before so that it doesn't seem like they're trying to waste your time, but you're also able to help them in the way that you can. So I'll, I guess I'll start this response by saying that I believe that the 20 something working generation right now is missing out so much by not being in the office. 
um, by not having internships, yeah. by not being in a place where you can listen, you can, you can learn, you can step into someone's office and say, do you have five minutes? I have a question. And so for anyone out there who's an entrepreneur or wants to be one or working in a team setting, do yourself a favor and try to get as much one-on-one FaceTime with not only your boss, but your team or people that you're reporting to. The more you can soak up those kind of learnings of everyday business problems, issues, wins, um, the better off you'll be. I think by not being in the office and not having a corporate culture, and so many companies have lost that in the last two years because people are spread out over, all over the country, um, there's going to be a huge learning gap for young people. But there's also going to be a huge miss with corporate identity. Um, so that being said is, you know, the LinkedIn, could you grab a coffee? When people do that to me, I'm like, let's do a Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, unless I'm in the same town. And sometimes, you know, and sometimes I will. It just depends on the time and the opportunity. And, um, you know, I try, I've always mentored. I probably mentored, I don't even know how many, 200 young people, maybe more, who knows. And a lot of these people are still in my life. They were assistants, they were interns, they were friends of my daughter's. Um, and now they're running their own companies or they're, they're, they own their own companies. Um, you know, they're at all varied levels of success in their career. Um, I do believe that being professional, but asking people to let you get in front of them, whether it's physically or on Zoom, I prefer upfront, um, it will add a lot of value to your life when it comes to, from a professional perspective. There are so many people out there that are willing to make an effort. Some people won't, there's just no doubt about it. Some people have more free time than they did before, but there's no reason to not ask. Don't be annoying, don't be a stalker, um, but just be really succinct in a three line letter on Zoom, or I mean on LinkedIn saying, um, I'm launching a new product. Um, I value your opinion. I'm young, but I'm building something special. And I was hoping I could pick your brain for 10 minutes. Most people are gonna to respond to that positively. And if they're not, then they're probably not the type of person that you're gonna get any value from to begin with. So um, if there's people in your community, if your parents have friends that are strong professionals that can, that can um, give you some value, sit in front of them. But I would use your close network And then I would go on LinkedIn and find people that are kind of the dream for whatever it is that you're doing and go for it. And LinkedIn is such a great platform to use because there's no harm or shame. Leslie, how many times along your career did you have to reach out to someone or ask for help or get a mentor because you didn't know exactly what was going on? Is that something that you ever dealt with or did you always just know what was going on? No, I mean... I have been lucky that I've had amazing people in my career path. Um, And some of the people I work for, I learned what not to do as much as what I learned what I wanted to do. Um, I never had a really traditional mentor. So that's why I've become a mentor for so many. Um, So I was just very scrappy. And I was very aware of, the people in the situations around me in, in whether it was corporate America or it was more entrepreneurial, um, non-traditional types of workplaces. I was in media for 20 years. Um, so I think I was, I've always been a great observer of people and I've tried to decipher what worked and what didn't, what was positive, how I wanted to be within my own integrity. Um, and, you know, I do think there's something to being assertive and aggressive, but I'm not a big fan of ruthless. Um, many people are, it's just not the way I'm wired. Um, I think there are ways to get to your goals and objectives and exceed them by having 
a really strong um, barometer of what's right and wrong and how you want to get there. So I know, as you talked about the glamorization of, of social media, I mean, we all know that 90% of social media is fake. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a strong self-esteem, a strong belief in what's right and wrong and what you're creating. Um, and realize that social media is a great tool for marketing, but don't get lost in, in the stories of people's great successes because most of them are bullshit. Um, so you've got to keep a level head. And I think that's another thing that, that social media really distorts for young entrepreneurs is you have to be realistic. So I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of went off on a tangent, but. No, you did. And, and that also goes back to earlier, what you, what you were just saying about how it's so disappointing that young people won't be able to have those one-on-one -on -one relationships and connections in person. And so you have to utilize something like LinkedIn. You have to be willing to write an email, but I certainly think that there is a proper way to write that email that isn't necessarily just asking someone for coffee. I listened to a really successful entrepreneur, her podcast some time ago now on, it was basically just saying why I won't go to coffee with you. And so I think that as the pandemic continues on, but you still need to network and get out of your comfort zone and talk to people, there's proper ways to do it. So with your work and even and prior to COVID, how valuable is a face-to-face -face meeting? Because I find that in the realm of entrepreneurship and business and what I really rely on is my key core of my business, building relationships in the community aspect. I always find that I get a deal when I meet with someone in person. And I don't always find that it transpires that way via email or via a Zoom. So how important is it for you to be in, in person with someone you're pitching an idea to or trying to raise money from? I, I, if you do one out of 10, I'd say it's a 10. So I have a really good story. I had dinner the other night with my friend's daughter who just graduated college. She's in New York, she's working her butt off. And she told me this story about a friend of hers um, who was interviewing for a job and there were several people up for the job. And people were doing Zoom interviews and her friend decided to spend her own money. She's lived in Chicago to fly to New York for the interview. Guess who got the job? There was probably like 50 mm. people. She got the job. She made the effort. She got in front of uh, the people at HR and her prospective manager. And they knew she paid for her own ticket because they didn't fly her in. And she made the effort and she got the job. So I believe it's almost everything. And anyone who tells you that it's not is, especially if you are in sales or marketing or fundraising or anything that has human contact, if you're just going to be behind a screen, you know, programming your computer and, and programming, you know, software and so forth, maybe you don't need to. But if you are in a forward facing kind of industry um, and building something that you want consumers to buy, you need to talk to people face to face. You need to shake their hand, look them in the eye and say, I respect what you're doing. I would love your help. And um, and I would go to coffee with a lot of people. So I, I don't know what the other woman's premise was about not wanting to go to coffee with people, but um, I'll always take a little bit of time if I can. Yeah, I think it was more like the cold random pitch, right? Like now that I had met you, Leslie, whether or not we were able to meet in person or had to do this via Zoom. I know we tried to do it in person. If I had just sent you a message via LinkedIn, really nothing much about myself, but just saying, can I get you for coffee to pick your brain on this idea that I have? You're probably less likely to reply, right? Because right. the message doesn't give you much and what you want it to be even. And I think a lot of people forget that, especially when they're reaching out to brands or where they're, where they're looking to have that coffee. If you want someone to sit down with you or you want someone to pay you for something, it needs to, in some capacity, be even. So what are you bringing to the table that makes it valuable for this person to sit down with you? So a few people that might be listening and thinking, okay, that you are a daughter's friend or whoever it was flew to New York, but I don't have that kind of money. Like I can't just do that. So I'm going to take the zoom. What would you say to that response? Well, so as I said, I think earlier is if you're going to send somebody a message on LinkedIn, three or four lines, but make it mean something, um, you know, be complimentary, tell them what you're doing um, and what you're looking for. 
not just, I want to pick your brain, but, you know, although I've responded to people who've said that if, if there was something intriguing in the rest of the, the paragraph, but don't send like a huge thing on LinkedIn. If you're going to send an email, you never know if it's going to, although you don't know if it's always going to get looked at at LinkedIn. But um, if you have an email, I would back it up with an email short about yourself, what you're looking for, what kind of support you need. You'll get one out of 10 or two out of 10. But those are the two people who probably will be immensely helpful in that conversation. Um, so if you're launching a product, um, I would reach out to someone who is in a similar industry and maybe that person might have an interest in what you're building. You know, some of the, almost every big company out there, Estee Lauder, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, all have their own venture teams now because they're trying to find young companies, young brands um, with entrepreneurs that are creating something new and they want to have first dibs because the competition is really great. So if there is something compelling that you're creating, let them know. And as I said, write 10 letters and you'll get one or two responses. And I think that's a pretty good response rate considering. Would you also agree that if someone says, I can't afford this ticket, what would you say about my gut thing would be like, okay, everyone can always find $400. My gut reaction would be, if you want this job, you need to see the value in putting it on a credit card, on asking someone to lend you some money, or what What would you say to that? Because I never, I never like the excuse to come back to money, because it does, and it's an important factor, but right. quite often, you're never going to have the money early on in your career to do a lot of things. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't do them. Well, here's the thing, is if you're living in Chicago or, or Texas or whatever, and you're looking for a job in New York, you've got to be able to afford to move to New York. You know, so if you're interviewing for a job in New York and it's a job they want you to be there in person. Um, so you can afford the $400 ticket, but can you afford $4,000 a month in rent? So you have to ask yourself that. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Um, as far as with investors, maybe in the very, very early stages, but pretty much everyone's going to want to meet you. If they're writing you a check, whether it's for 20000 or 250000 or $2 million, they want to shake your hand, they want to look in your eye, and they want to see who you are. A big part of our decision-making process when we invest in companies is only half of it's a great idea. The other half is predominantly who the founder is. You know, do we believe in them? Because a great idea can get blown up very quickly by someone who doesn't know how to manage and build a team and, and a product. Um, there's a lot to it. So I do believe that from a fundraising perspective, everybody's gonna wanna meet you. I mean, now people are, in, are hiring people on Zoom because the workforce has changed dramatically and people are really looking for quality people. And sometimes I've talked to a few people hiring that they've never had a more difficult time that a lot of people, um, young people have a really, um, I'm trying to think the right word, a very entitled mindset. And that really doesn't go over well with employers or investors. Mm. Um, so that goes back to my early comment about being humble. Um, people walk into a room and they think that everything about themselves and their product, everything is better than anyone else pretty good chance you're not going to get funded <laughs> job for that matter. Do you think that from what you've seen, people know that, like, have you been around young people who you think walk into the room and think that they are better than everyone? And like, can yeah. you, yeah. It, 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 if you ask most of, let's say people that, you know, in the professional space in their late thirties to fifties, that have the money, that are hiring, that are investing, they've never dealt with the more arrogant time of young people, the way they approach, whether it's jobs and what they expect their employers to do for them. Um, and also same from an investor perspective. So I will tell you that I've listened to, I was in a conversation yesterday with three friends of mine, they all are in their own companies. They said the same thing. It's never been so demoralizing to hire people right now because they just don't want 
to deal with this attitude. And so the funny thing is, it's kind of backfires. A lot of people are targeting men and women who have left, you know, the workforce, they've decided to, you know, they're 50, they've done it, they, they want to retire and they're bringing back and going, going after people who have a really strong work ethic and are looking for project work because they're having, they're really needing to find new ways to build their workforce because hiring has been a pretty negative experience for the last year or two for them. Um, and I've heard it countless times. Why do you think that is? Hmm. So, oh, that's a much deeper question. <laughs> um, but there is a lot of young entitlement out there. Um, not everyone for sure. I know some amazing hardworking kids. Um, and there is a little bit of an attitude that mm. I know better. Just is, I don't know why, but I, I will tell you that it doesn't come across as um, easy to work with, work, you know, understanding. Um, when you say you're 22 and you know so much and you know more than everyone in the room, I would run from you for a 10 foot pole to invest in you. There's just no way. There's no way people actually say that. You, you cannot believe some of the arrogance that I've seen. Wow. That even, that actually even surprises me because I fully agree with you and I couldn't actually agree more with you because, and I, I attribute so much of it to social media as that people think that, oh, well, it's fine. You know, I'm, I'm going to make a ton of money off of Instagram and someone over the age of 35, I'm never going to need to work from them, but they don't understand Instagram. So like I have this new sense of entitlement and it also really irks me, but I don't find my, most of the time when I'm around these young people, it's at conferences and whatnot. I'm not necessarily having that type of a conversation with them related to HR or that corporate lifestyle, but I can't even imagine, but hearing- I'm not talking corporate. I'm talking about across the board, but it, it, it is frustrating. And, and look, maybe that attitude will, will be a backlash for those people who have that attitude and things will change. Um, but the workforce right now is really challenged to find people with a great work ethic. It's not the same. Would you um, say it's because of social media? I, I don't know. I can't blame it on one thing. I could blame it on, um, I don't want to go down this road that much, but I think how people are, are, are look, we're all programmed by our parents, mm -hmm. you know, um, for the most part. Social media is a big influence, but what parents say to your kids at home and the work ethic and the, um, and the, I keep using this word entitlement, which I think is a bad word. It's such a bad connotation. So, um, but this, I guess it's in privilege. I don't know that it comes across more than I've ever seen it. I've been interviewing people for 30 plus years and it's mind boggling really. So, um, and I'm not going to say it's across the board and I would say it's the majority right now. And, um, I used to interview people for positions and I'd be like, Oh my God, I like five out of the six of them. Now I'm happy if I find one person that I think is really excellent. That's heavy. That's, that's an important point for people to listen to and think about is this is how people who are over the age of 30 are thinking about the Gen Zers and these young people who are growing up with social media. So if you are listening to this podcast and you are in that age bracket, you need to go into a meeting with someone that you want to work for. And in the same way that you need to be reaching out to them, asking for coffee, but also making sure that it's an even thing. If you're working for someone, and I firmly believe this, who is older than you, then you should be there to learn everything from them. I can't even imagine hiring someone who thinks that they know more than I know entrepreneur or not entrepreneur, because it's not a bad thing or to be looked at negatively, to go and want to work for someone and learn from them. It baffles me and it's 
frustrating and think and disappointing. And I, I think, and I'll just caveat what I what I was talking about too is that I, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's 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 been so noticeable to myself and colleagues and friends. So there's a lot of people that are not like it, but unfortunately, they get looked at under this like umbrella of, and I mean, you can Google anything about hiring right now and, 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 um, and, and so forth. So I do think that if you are my dream kind of candidate for an investment or <clears throat> a hire, and you're looking to really build and grow, really focus on that. You know, this is one of my key differentiating factors, or this is one of my, my key attributes is I'm open, I'm humble, I'm hungry, I have a great work ethic, and I'm a good listener. Mm-hmm. That would just get me to stand up and clap my hands. Me too. So I think that there are going to be a lot of smart young people that have all those great attributes. But many times they're going to walk into the room for that interview or get on a Zoom and people are going to be like, oh, crap. Is this another crappy attitude? Mm-hmm. And so I really think that's maybe the opportunity too, is to really just highlight yourself as focus on your, focus on your, your best attributes and let them really see who you are. Because in a way, um, I think some people hiring or some people looking to invest in founders, and again, making investment is all about the human being that's running the company. Um, there is a little bit, probably a little bit of a stigma in my eyes. I'm not saying I wrote the Bible, but I'm, I'm saying that in many of my peers' eyes too. So there's so much great innovation. There's so much ingenuity. There's so much creativity coming from, you know, the 20s and the 30, young 30-year-olds 30 and, and really like what's happening with social media and social marketing. And it, it's, it's so exciting. Um, so I believe that there can be the, let me rephrase this, the best dynamic in a working situation is to have young people that understand stuff and bring, can bring to the table things that the older generation doesn't have. And the older generation has the leadership, the management, the ability to navigate, um, problems, issues, hurdles, and together they build a really great team. Mm-hmm. You can't collaborate and build. I think you have one hand tied behind your back. If you're in a silo and, and myopic, it's, it's just never going to be as great as a massive collaboration of, of smart people that have different skill sets. That's why they say teamwork makes the dream work. It's yeah, really hard to be ultimately successful without mentors, without people by your side. And so if you're going into that out of high school and going into college, leaving college, now entering the workforce, going into it, remembering. I think also that a lot of young people right now are forgetting about the fact that people who are of a different generation did not grow up with social media. So when you may be in a meeting, and I struggled with this when I had my show on Disney, when you may be in a meeting and you may be pitching all your ideas and, you know, really going gung-ho with it and, pe- and you know, expecting someone to say yes to you and you get turned down, remind yourself that not only did people who are not in your generation of how you grew up with social media, they still have a more traditional upbringing in the sense of they probably went to college and they probably uh, got another job and had mentors along the way. Most people over the age of 35 did not right grow up with like a viral TikTok, and then we're like, I don't have to go to college. So to remind young people that is really critical so that I think they can ultimately not be looked at as people who are going into the meetings thinking that they're better than everyone because they're just not. Yeah. So I I think, you know, maybe some people listening may be offended by what I said, and that's totally not supposed to be the case. It's supposed to be eye-opening to realize like what a different generation is thinking when you walk in that room with your hand out for money or your hand out for a job. So it's always great to walk into any situation armed with info, armed with data, um, armed with insight, because with that, you can make a better presentation. You can make a better, um, 
impression on the person you're trying to impress, um, whatever it may be. Being prepared is like one of the number one things that will help you throughout your whole life. So um, and the other thing is, is failing is not a bad, bad thing as long as you learn something from it. Like you had mentioned before that you get some value out of every, every situation you're in, so do I. Um, but I always look for the value too, is like, even when something is a, is a negative or it didn't work out the way or I didn't close the deal I wanted or whatever it is, like, what did I learn here? And if you could find the value or the lesson or the something in the situation, first of all, it takes a lot of the sting out of maybe not getting what you wanted. Um, but also um, it opens your mind to, to looking at things the different, a different way. Because I also think that, you know, I know that there was a joke for a long time how parents used to give their kids awards just for like putting on the uniform. Like everyone was so into praising, 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 praising that, that a lot of kids didn't grow up with reality. Um, and I think that for people who don't know what it's like not to be acknowledged for like getting up that day, you know, and for doing just doing mundane, um, it's going to be hard. So when you stumble or when you don't get the job or when you don't get the funding, realize that's part of the process. It's not like, oh, I did a bad job or, oh, I, I, I suck. I'm never going to be a success. Take that and say, what did I learn from it? Did they give me any critical comments or critique that will help me make a better pitch, a better presentation, um, you know, get my head in, in a better space when, when, when I meet someone? Um, did I look them in the eye? Did I smile? Did I thank them? Was I positive? You know, and those kinds of things come with time and practice. And if you're not used to being disappointed in your life, and hopefully as a young person, you know, you have a reality check, but you, you know, you have had a, a life that provided you support, which is what we all hope for. It's going to be very hard walking into the, to the working world. You really need to have a realistic um, outlook because everything is yeah. not easy. You do. And I don't think it's something that anyone in any capacity would look at what you're saying and think, okay, I am offended by what you said, Leslie, because if anyone is offended by that, I am also backing her up on this because she is not the first person who has said this to me about young people, but it is also something that I have realized upon even going on social media and seeing what young people post and how they interact. I think a lot of young adults are forgetting that just because people are going viral and just because that's such a, that's such a big thing to expect that your life is going to take off online. That doesn't mean that you need to be posting raunchy content and just going all out there with, with your opinions on things in the wrong way, because for the most part, 1% of young people are going to make it in that type of field. So just remember that this is what successful people are thinking about. And and when you made a comment because when you're looking to engage with someone, invest with them, hire them, whatever it is, everyone checks their social media. So you've really got to be careful what the hell you put out there. And sexy pictures or provocative pictures, you know, partying, showing yourself wasted, um, showing yourself not in a great light um, will come back to bite you in the butt for a long time. So I really encourage every young person that I talk to is clean up your act on social because, you know, you're young, you're like, who, who would care about this? Everyone does. College recruiters do, job recruiters do, the whole nine yards. So it's back to the same thing of how you present yourself is how people are going to take you. And if you want someone to take you seriously, like you really could have invented something that's amazing and you really could have created something and you really can develop a platform for my company that could be game-changing. You want to come across that way. So that's a big warning sign. Um, and I know plenty of people who have not gotten jobs because of 
stuff they put on social media. Mm-hmm. Something even as small as a response to something or something that's demeaning to someone else. All of these little things are actually very big things when you're in the room with someone who is trying to take you seriously. And I've had times where I've gone on social media and I've seen people who have even emailed me and I'll look at their Instagram and Oh gosh, there's one girl in particular and I uh, almost wanted to message her. I mean, she's so young and the stuff that she posts, I was like, okay, I'm 24 and I'm thinking this, you're never going to get a job. And it's crazy to me how someone will, someone young will let that take over in what they think about people, but, or, or allow people to look at them like that because of how, uh, what they're posting on social media, which is, which is so silly. Just keep it all, keep it all clean. But Leslie, last piece of advice you may have for someone in their early twenties who is struggling finding that dream job. So I do think from, from a job perspective that because the job market has changed so much that finding a great job should not be that hard. Um, that being said is LinkedIn's a great tool. Um, hiring a job uh, recruiter is a really good resource. People are actively, actively looking to, to fill positions. So I think it's an advantageous time to look for a job. Um, Yes, going online is a great resource, but if you guys are still in school, um, I would think most colleges and universities have pretty active resource centers to set up interviews for you and um, you know, steer you towards potential career and job opportunities. And talk to everyone you know. Um, hopefully you have family, friends, friends, parents, um, people that maybe you work all through high school and college, part-time work that can either use you as a resource or just ask them, say, if you know of anybody, please let me know. I cannot believe how many times people have said that to me. And I usually end up finding somebody a job. Uh-huh. So just ask, um, just be, you know, thoughtful and, and courteous. Don't be, don't be annoying but be really genuine. If you know anyone that's looking to hire, I'm looking to work as a social media, you know, um, develop manager or whatever it is, or not a manager, but, um, you know, as an associate in a PR firm, or I'm looking to be a copywriter, whatever it is, put it out there, what you're really looking for. Don't just say, I'm looking for a job. Say, I'm looking for a creative position in a design firm. I'm looking to help build the next great app, whatever it may be, let people know what you're looking for. And you'll be surprised how many times people will go out of their way to think for you if you've made a good impression on them. On the other hand, if you have not, you'll probably get very little results. So be careful who you ask also. I did a whole blog post yesterday too on this. So. Yeah, um, what were you gonna say? No, I was saying, just be thoughtful. Don't be reactionary. Something I learned in my 30s that I wish I learned in my 20s was when something upsets you, when somebody responds to you in a way that kind of like irks you, take a couple breaths. Sometimes I will get an email that that annoys me or whatever it may be. And instead of responding quickly or responding to a post or a text quickly, I'll just put it on pause. I'll wait an hour, I'll wait a day, I'll let the emotion out of out of whatever I'm feeling at that time or the emotion that person is like kind of throwing my way and I let the situation diffuse. And 100% of the time I have a better response when I don't respond emotionally, um, whether it's through anger, disappointment, frustration, whatever it is, um, taking time to just think, be prepared and breathe. And you will have a much better response to whatever it is you're looking for. I've learned that the hard way in many parts of my career responding so fast. I, I got an email last night that really pissed me off and I wanted to, rep- it was like 10 PM. I wanted to reply. And, and I think it comes, a lot of that comes with age and just experience is like reminding yourself, like you said, put this on pause. What you're going to reply is probably not going to impact either side. So just don't reply for now. And then if you think about it after a few hours, you might be like, I don't even have anything to say back to that. So it's not even worth 
not even worth the reply. Right. Yeah. Responding in any form of communication out of emotion, personal or professional, never really ever serves anyone to its best level. I'm always so fascinated by how people get into business with their friends, because the one time I tried that with one of my best friends, our relationship went so downhill. And so I think you have to be such a specific type of person to get into business with a friend because it's all so emotional sometimes. And unfortunately in business, I don't like the word ruthless. And I know you said that you don't either, but I think that sometimes you have to be a little bit ruthless, take your emotions out of it and realize that if your boss doesn't like your work or you've gotten negative feedback to something, don't take it so personally. It's just business. Right. And I don't think Ruth, this is the word. I think being more strategic. And I think if you are going to work with a friend, find a partner that has opposite skill sets than you. Meaning one person could be the operations and business side and one could be the creative and the marketing side. Mm -hmm. And before you go into business with them, whether you're 16 or 26, create a list of responsibilities up front. This is your, this is where you our best set and will focus. This is where I will focus and in between, this is where we cross over. <clears throat> and so you create outcomes and responsibilities upfront so that the emotions don't even hopefully heat up. And if you prepare for how you step into that partnership, you'll have a much, much better um, uh, chance at success. Agreed. Leslie, where can everyone find you on social media, find out more about Swift Dark and the work that you do to empower women? Well, um, so Swift Dark Ventures is on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Leslie Wolfson. And um, those are probably the, the best ways to find me. And I'm on social, but my social has nothing to do with my business. How would you also feel what my last question for you is what would your ideal LinkedIn message be? Say someone wanted to get you for a coffee or get your advice on an idea they're working on. What would that message, what, what message would stand out to you? Um, Hey, Leslie, my name is so-and-so I have been working on such and such business platform. I've gone into a really great stage. I saw your LinkedIn profile and thought you might be able to give me some great direction and advice. Do you have 10 minutes? And there is a very high likelihood that I will respond. Now I get a lot of things on LinkedIn. People are pitching me um, their business. That doesn't really, unless it's in my sector, um, I don't really respond. If someone's pitching me copywriting services or they're pitching me, um, you know, to handle my social media, I, I don't need to be sold on, on LinkedIn. For me, it's a resource to find new deals, new people, and connect with business opportunities. So everyone's different, but that's the kind of um, note that I'd probably respond positively to. Short, sweet, and to the point. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I learned so much from you from this conversation, but in general about business and how to really approach a conversation and get what you want out of every meeting. So I'm so glad and, and excited that we met. And I love seeing how, how much time and effort you put into women and female founders. So thank you so much for your work with that. And everyone, I hope that whether or not you are a young person listening to this episode, that you take something away from what she said, and honestly, authentically showing up to every meeting that you walk into, but also ready to learn. I think that's a huge appeal and everyone should really value that from someone and as someone. Uh, so if you want to follow the podcast on social media, you can do so at, at the new unfiltered as well as my personal social media and the RSVP link for the Be Fearless Summit. If you are a UConn student is live. There are a few spots for students who don't attend UConn, but have to be at college in Connecticut. So you can still RSVP from the link at BeFearlessSummit.org as well as all over the social media. And I'll see you guys next week for a new episode. Bye, guys. <music>